Yeah. Hey, my name is Drew. Welcome to Horizon. That song is actually off my favorite The Who album because it has like Bob O'Reilly, Behind Blue Eyes, this one. And I remember the first time I heard that, that first line, I'm singing this note because it fits in well with the chords I'm playing. Can't pretend there's any meaning here to the things I'm saying, but I'm in tune. <laughs> like there's just something, I don't know, something that just hit me about that. Because probably on like my best days, like isn't that how life can feel on your best day? Like everything, like all the notes are coming together, all of life just seems in sync, everything's in tune, and I'm just cruising. It almost feels like it doesn't matter what I do, it's going to sound good. Well, that's kind of what we're aiming for in this series called In Tune, Words in the Key of Life. Like, how do we live a life that feels like it's in tune? Because the reality is, I also have those days, maybe you do too, where it feels like it only takes one sour note. You know, one chord that you just miss. And the whole thing feels like it's completely out of tune. So what are some of those words? What are some of those things that we can focus on to help us feel like we're back in tune? And so to do that, we're going to use a little bit of music, a little bit of art to try to help us think about how do we prioritize those kinds of things. Because you and I both know there are only so many hours in a day. So let's say this is me. Although now that I'm looking at it, it actually kind of looks like you. So let's say this is you. <laughs> we look pretty similar, you and I. All of us know that we are juggling so many things in our lives. Right? It's, it's family, friends, obviously work. You know, how do I even get through one day trying to figure out how to really invest the time that I want to in each of those things? Or even, you know, in God. You know, I didn't, until I was sitting here, even think about how many times he's singing, getting in tune to the straight and narrow. Well, maybe God can help me with that if I could just figure out how to balance all of these things. But there are only so many hours in a day. And when I'm at my best and things are just rolling and things are in tune, it feels all right, but then I start to add more things and I, I hope I can get these in tune too, but I start to run out of time and maybe you feel this like I do, that the more you add, the more cluttered this feels, the more out of tune it can seem. And my problems are as big as the day is long. There's only so much sunlight, there's only so much time, there's only so many hours before the sun sets. Before the sun goes down on my day or even my life. And so in this series, we want to help you think, and me too, what are those things that you would say, don't let the sun go down on me. Don't let the sun go down on my life until I figure out how to get all of these things in tune. Well, hey, good morning. Uh, I know that many of you probably don't recognize me, and, and that's fine, because that means uh, I haven't been arrested, and so you don't recognize me from that uh, mugshot. My name is Adam. I am one of uh, 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 the pastors at a church called Grace Community Church down in uh, Clarksville, Tennessee. Uh, and it's a real privilege to be able to be here with you and to take up uh, four or five offerings until we kind of get the required amount uh, for my honorarium. And then I'm just going to pray and leave. And then that's really kind of what I do. No, it, it's a great privilege to be able to be here with you. 
Uh, I've known this church for a, a long time, sometimes from a distance, but Chad is a good friend of mine, and he has asked me to come and help you start this series called In Tune. Uh, and what we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk about this idea that Drew already referenced and how, uh, in many ways, life can sometimes be overwhelming. And it can seem at times that life is just too much, and, and it seems like maybe we're out of step and we're not really following the path that we know might be out there. And yet, how do we get back onto that path, or how do we play in tune? And so one of the ways that we're going to do that this morning by looking at that is we're going to think through how does it mean for us to live a life with honor? Uh, and that's going to set up this series is that we're going to look at a word each week. Uh, correction, you guys are going to look at a word each week. I'm going to leave, but you guys are going to look at a word each week. And I'm going to start with honor this morning. What does it mean to live an honorable life? And, and how does that bring us back into tune with God so that in these seasons when we feel overwhelmed, we can find this path forward and know that we're hopefully living a life of meaning and purpose and significance uh, in the ways that God has designed us to do that. Okay, so we're going to look at honor this morning and the importance of of honor. And we're going to do that through three really simple ways. I like to be really, really clear. That way, uh, if you guys don't get anything out of this morning, uh, you only have yourself to blame because I've been clear, okay? I've been very clear. The three ways that we're going to do that this morning is we're going to look at what actually is honor and what does that mean? Uh, why does God say that's important for our lives? And then how do we live with honor, okay? So what is honor? What do we mean by honor? Why is that important for your life today? And then how do we live lives of honor? All right? First things first, what do we mean by this idea of honor? Uh, there, there's a lot of different ways to think about honor, okay? You might hear different words. You, you might hear, uh, even if you're familiar with religion, you know, honor your father and mother. If you've ever been in a court situation, you would probably reference the judge as your honor, or if you've been to a high school or a college graduation, or, or I don't know if they do this for kindergarten or middle school, but you can graduate with honors. Uh, there are places of honor. There are seats of honor. Uh, the word uh, honor gets used in a lot of different ways. In fact, even yesterday, uh, I saw on a guy's t-shirt on the back, it says, honor, in big words, thy guitar. What does it mean to honor? Uh, it can be a confusing term, and yet I think it's really helpful if we think about what the Bible means by honor, because we're talking about bringing our lives in tune with God and seeing what that might mean for us. And so what does God mean when he talks about honor? Well, there's a really famous passage in the Old Testament. It's from Exodus chapter 32. Exodus is kind of one of the big books in the Bible. Uh, and you're probably familiar with actually this passage or even at least this book because this is the book that shows up every single Easter. I think it's on ABC now. I think for like five hours they show the movie The Ten Commandments. And in this movie you see this really famous story that is one of the main through lines of the Bible. And it's a man named Moses who is called by God to leave Egypt. And yet there's a problem because there's a, another man named Pharaoh who is intent on keeping Moses and in turn God's people in Egypt because Pharaoh had enslaved the uh, uh, Hebrews, God's people, and he was using them to produce his empire and specifically the buildings of his empire. And so uh, God calls Moses and, and consequently Aaron to go to Pharaoh and to say, please let my people go. And Pharaoh doesn't want to do it because he's going to lose all of his free labor. 
And so then all these plagues come, and eventually he relents, and he says, okay, you can go, but then he changes his mind, and then we get this kind of famous vision that many of you are probably familiar with, where it's God parting the Red Sea, God's people walking through on dry ground, then Pharaoh in his arrogance wants to chase God's people through God's miracle, and then God says, I'm not going to let that happen, and so then the Red Sea comes and crashes down and destroys all the enemies. And you would think that's the end of the story, and yet God's people are actually just beginning in many ways their journey. They wander around in the wilderness, and during this uh, season of wandering, there's a, a time when Moses ascends to the top of a mountain, and he goes to hear from the Lord, and he wants to get the instructions, because God's people need governed. They, they need to know how to live. They've been enslaved for over 400 years, and now they want to make their own way, and they need God's help with that. So Moses says, I'm going to go hear from the Lord. Well, while Moses is up on the mountain, uh, all of the people start to get restless, and, and they become impatient, and they start to doubt God's goodness towards them. And they go to Aaron, who is kind of the, the second in command underneath Moses, and they say, Moses is gone. In fact, he's probably dead, or maybe he abandoned us. And, and so what we need to do is we need to take things into our own hands, and we need to form our own religion. This God that brought us out of Egypt, that parted the Red Seas, that has sustained us miraculously through the provision in the desert, we can't trust him anymore because he took Moses. And so we got an idea. We want to bring you all of our gold, Aaron, and we want to make a golden calf. And we're going to make this golden calf, and we're going to set him up, and he's going to be actually the way that we worship now. He's going to become the God that we follow. And so Aaron, and you kind of get the sense when you read the narrative that Aaron doesn't really want to do this, but he doesn't know what else to do, and so he says, okay, fine. And so he makes this golden calf, and they start to worship this. And it's kind of this really absurd story where God's people, they've just experienced these miracles. They've created something literally with their own hands, and then they start treating this created thing as if it's God. They start to bow down. They start to bring sacrifices. They start to worship. They start to honor this golden calf. And the honor that was reserved for God previously was now being shifted into this created thing. But there's something in their hearts that needs to be led, that needs to come underneath something else to give them meaning and significance and purpose in their lives. And one of the great things about the Bible is that it's full of human beings, and I know that we might think that we are smarter than people back then and that we've kind of progressed and we've evolved, and in some ways that's true, in other ways not so fast, because a human being is a human being is a human being, and all of us are stamped with these innate desires and these uh, needs for meaning and needs for significance and needs for something to make sense of our own lives. And, and so they were really no different than you and I, this innate desire to come underneath something and you kind of know that, right? Uh, when things start to go haywire in your life, and, and you may seek this out through a pastor, you may seek this out through a mentor or a friend or even a therapist or a physician. When things start to go off the rails, don't most of us try to find someone that we think is smarter than us or has it together than us or has lived through what we're going through and say, hey, would you just please tell me what to do? Just tell me what to do. It's because we want to come underneath something. Now, this little thing that's inside of you and it's inside of me and it's inside of every single human being that's ever lived that wants to come underneath something, this gives us a clue of what it means to honor something. And just like uh, people can honor God, just like they can make things with their own hands like the Hebrews did when Moses was up on the mountain, 
coming underneath the worship of this golden calf, there's something in all of us that wants to be underneath, to do our duty, to, to know that, that there's something outside of us that's bigger than us, that's giving us meaning and significance. Now, within this story, we get these clues. One, that there's something that we uh, want to come under. And that honor looks like recognizing that. And then uh, through our actions, showing deference by putting ourselves underneath something and deferring to or saying this other person, this other thing, this other system is actually uh, important, maybe even more important than me. That's what you do when you go into a courtroom and you say, your honor. You're saying that the judge rules over this courtroom. When you say that someone graduates with honors, they're saying that uh, they have achieved something that gives them some weight, that gives them some notoriety. When we say honor your father and your mother, you know, pulling from religious language, we're saying that something about your parents deserves uh, uh, an appreciation or assigning a value to, a weightiness to. This is what it means to honor. And the other thing we see in this story is that honor is primarily something that we do or that we show through actions. Now, we can certainly honor people or honor even things or institutions in our hearts, but, but where we really see what honor means is that because of our deference towards something, because we recognize something is weighty, we now say, okay, our actions are going to be shaped by our understanding of this value or of this weightiness. Okay, that's why when you're in a courtroom, you have to show respect to the honor. That's why when someone graduates with honors, they get the special tassel or the special sash, and they usually get to walk first. We live these things out with our actions. Right? Now, this is what the Bible means. Uh, and the Bible, if you do a study on honor, uh, which is super easy now, you have a, a smartphone, and, and so you could find out how to do this pretty easily. I'm sure uh, you can figure that out on yourself, or you can ask one of the pastors who work here. Don't ask me, because I'm going to be gone. Remember, okay? But you can ask them. And you see about honor, you see that the Bible often pairs this idea of honor with riches. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, everyone who has money is honorable and that everyone who is poor isn't honorable. In fact, in many ways, it's the opposite. But in the Old Testament specifically, riches were seen as a sign of God's favor and a sign of God's presence. And so riches and honor went together. You see things like glory and honor going together. You see things of places of honor where God does something holy and then people now mark that with a sense of honor. It's these ideas that there's something weighty going on that we need to put ourselves under through deferential actions as a response to the weightiness or the glory or the value of what's actually happening, right? This is what it means to honor. Now, why do we need to pay attention to honor in this way? Why does God even care about this for your life? And I want to read to you a passage which actually has a lot of the same themes as Exodus 32 has in it. But it's written by a man named Paul in a book called Romans. And uh, Paul was a man who had his life radically changed by the work of God. So much so that even his name changed. And that was indicative of his nature being changed and reformatted from the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he writes this book to the church in Rome. That's why it's called Romans. Uh, and he kind of lays out what it actually means to walk with God and to live a meaningful life underneath his leadership and his power. And in the very first chapter, as he's building his case, listen to the words that he says. I'm going to read to you from Romans chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 18. And Paul writes this. 
He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Now, what Paul is trying to say here, and, and I think what's helpful for us to understand as we think about this idea of honor this morning is this, is number one, that there is a God, there's a creator of the universe. And this creator of the universe is the one who gives every single one of us lives. And so we are, in some sense, already underneath this idea that our life has been given to us. And we kind of know that naturally, right? You can choose a lot of things in your life. You can choose in many ways what you want to do for a vocation. You can choose how you wear your hair. You can choose in many ways how you spend your money. You absolutely cannot choose your parents as much as you may have wanted to. Your life has been given to you because two people came together independent of your desire, independent of your will, independent of your preferences, and chose to give you life. So already your biological life testifies to the fact that you have been given something. Now, uh, in many ways, this kind of continues on. If your parents are bald, sorry. You don't have probably much of a choice in that. You can delay it for a little bit. But eventually that Rogaine subscription will wear out, right? If your parents have heart disease, I'm really, really sorry. But there are very few things that you can do to probably avoid that. And you will come into life predisposed towards that. If your parents live to be really, really healthy, uh, and, and, and this is one of the great benefits of being a pastor now for the last, you know, 16 or 17 years, is I see stories that just make no sense. I see people uh, that eat bacon two and a half meals a day. And they lived to be in their 90s and could outwork probably anyone in this room. I see other people who uh, would never touch meat and take vitamins four or five times a day. And sadly, their lives end with health problems and complications. I'm not saying that to, to point the finger at anyone. I'm just saying that to say that there are many things that you just inherit. And what Romans 1 is saying is that your life has been given to you, not only biologically, but also spiritually. That your, your soul, the part of you that is not physical, has been breathed into you by the power and the presence of a God. Now, secondly, what Paul says is that the amazing thing about being a human being is that not only has this life been given to you by a God, but this God is knowable. That he's not this distant deity who just winds up a clock and then lets it go. He's not someone who's sitting on his throne impervious to your requests. He is knowable in personal and even tangible experiential ways. The third thing that Paul says in this passage is that it's not enough just to admit that your life has been given to you. And it's not even enough to know that there is a God who is knowable. What really matters is are you going to glorify, and this is kind of the same idea of weightiness or something having value. Are you going to assign a worth and a value to this God? 
Not that he just gave you your life, not just that he is even knowable and you can even admit that he is there and, and, and you can talk to him, but are you going to defer to him? Are you going to put yourself underneath him? And here's the real problem, and here's why honor matters so much for your life and how you will live out of tune if you do not grasp this, is that because God is the creator of your life, because he is knowable and because he is the weightiest thing, I love what the, uh, a German theologian describes God as. He, 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 uh, Hans Kung wrote this book that's you know, 1,200 pages long. And in this book, he just keeps coming back to, here's what I can say about God with confidence. He is the ultimate reality. I love that phrase. God is the ultimate reality. He's immovable. He's the most real thing that has ever existed. Because he is the weightiest thing, we are called to come underneath him. And if we don't, I mean, the, the language here doesn't really uh, come clearly out in the English. Because we read a word like futile, or we read a word like darkened, or we read a word like fool, and we think, oh, yeah, I, oh, yeah so what, I'm darkened, or maybe I'm foolish, or maybe I'm futile. It's, and we really miss what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that if you don't acknowledge God as the weightiest thing in your life, if you don't honor him, you become the absence of light, the absence of goodness, the absence of anything that's going to give you meaning and power and significance and purpose. You become futile, which means you become useless. You get thrown into the junk drawer. You become a fool. And I know for us, that's not really that much of a put down. But when you read the Old Testament, the worst thing that you could be was foolish. Paul is using some really strong words here, and he says, if you don't honor God and keep him the weightiest thing in your life, you are on a downward trajectory. Regardless of how many external things that you have going on that uh, seemingly are, are saying that your life is going well, you are becoming useless, you are becoming in the absence of light, you are becoming foolish, hardened in your heart, unable to respond to the truth that is God, the creator of the universe. And this is why he says that honor matters so much. Here's what this means in the clearest terms I can say it. Your life is not your own. It doesn't belong to you in many ways. Now, especially here in America in the 21st century, we become uh, inundated with this idea that we get to choose and make our own life and, and we get to exercise our own freedoms and we get to think this is my right, this is my choice, this is my manifest destiny, I get to do whatever I want. And yet, spiritually speaking, and really the source of all wisdom, even if you want to take Jesus Christ out of it, comes from the recognition that your life has been given to you. And it's not your own to spend as you would wish. The ancient Greeks said that your life was supposed to be spent in the service of community and others. Near Eastern religions would say that your life was supposed to be spent in the service of your family or your clan or your tribe. And then if you want to lay Jesus on top of this, your life is supposed to be spent in the service of your creator. Your life is not your own. And if I could say anything to the people of today, including myself, it would be that you have no right to spend your life the way that you want to because it's been given to you by someone. And honoring looks like recognizing this. 
Do you want to be futile? Do you want to be useless? Do you want to be darkened? Do you want your heart to be moving away from wisdom? Well, then don't honor God and don't make him the most weighty thing in your life. But if you want to be useful, if you want to move towards light, if you actually want to experience goodness and you want to experience wisdom and an inner contentment and an inner wholeness, well, then it begins by making God the weightiest thing, by honoring him. Now, how do we do this? Point one, what is honor? It's a deferential attitude towards the weightiest thing. Number two, why do we need this? Because the alternative is really bad. Number three, how do we do this? Well, uh, to come underneath something means that there has to be a surrender. And there's never going to be a surrender without a deep sense of humility. That if God is the one who's in charge of your life, if he's the one who's the creator of all good things, if he's the one who gives you all the good things in your life to experience, well, then there has to be a sense of coming underneath that. Uh, Let me just read to you in in kind of a a quick succession three verses from the book of Proverbs, which is all all about living a wise and good life. And listen to what uh, the Bible says here. Proverbs 15 says this, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom in before honor, is humility, meaning that humility is needed to lead to a life of properly honoring things. Proverbs 18, before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty. Isn't that a fun word to say, haughty? You probably don't use that very often. I don't either. It's haughty. It just kind of spills out. It's haughty. And before honor is humility. Proverbs 29, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain The author of Proverbs, or authors of Proverbs, possibly, is saying that we move towards God and goodness in a good life by cultivating honor, and it takes humility to cultivate honor. In many ways, it's the secret sauce of what it means to live a life of meaning and purpose with God. Maybe it's kind of like this. Uh, Last week, we had hamburgers at our house, and and I have um, four kids, and our son said, uh, Dad, your hamburgers are not as good as uh, the restaurants. And he said, no offense, as if that made it okay. And so I said, well, no problem. Uh, I love your sister more than you. No offense. <laughs> no offense. Right? No, I didn't say that. I said, you're absolutely right. Our, our hamburgers at home are not as good as the hamburgers at the restaurant. And uh, for those of you that have ever worked at a restaurant, you know why hamburgers are so much better at restaurants, right? Fat. Butter. Butter in everything. Butter on the grill. Butter on the hamburger. Butter on the bun. Butter in the Coke. Butter everywhere. <laughs> right? Butter just makes everything better. It's the secret ingredient. If you wonder why things taste better when you go to a restaurant, it's because there is this hidden secret sauce of fat and flavor, usually through butter, that most of us are not uh, courageous enough to do at home, okay? That's why. Humility is like that. Humility is the secret sauce that goes underneath every single attempt that we might have to make God honorable, right? 
And if we have any hope of making spiritual progress towards a good and meaningful life, we have to commit to this idea of humility and to say, I'm willing to admit that I don't have all of the answers. I'm willing to admit that my life has been given to me. I'm willing to admit that I am not the weightiest thing in my existence. And that there is a God who is knowable. And not only that, but he calls us to honor him by treating him as the weightiest ultimate reality. Humility is required. Now, the second thing, and this is not probably going to be new to some of you, but you know, the, one of the other main through lines of the Bible, and Jesus kind of distills the whole of Testament and all of its ethical teaching down to these two commands of honor God, loving God, honor others, and loving others. And so that's really what I want to leave with you today after this idea of humility is honoring God. That how we practice this means that we put God first. And it's not even enough to say just God in general. And if that's where you're at in your story, I understand that. And there's patience for you and love for you. And the God of the Bible loves you and walks with you through that. But in John chapter 5, Jesus tells us that not only are we called to honor God the Father, but if we do not honor Jesus as his Holy Son, then we actually don't show honor to the Father either. And so, uh, we can say, you know, I, I believe in God, but I, I'm not sure about Jesus, or, or even I, I believe in God, and even I believe in the God of the Bible, but if we don't take Jesus the Christ seriously and treat him as the, the God who he says he was, the Messiah, the one who died for us and gave us new life, if we don't do that, then we're not honoring God. There's, we're just partially kind of dancing around it. And so we are called to honor God. God, specifically Jesus. Let me just ask you a few questions as maybe a way to help you navigate what that might look like. Is God the weightiest thing in your life? Meaning when you face decisions or when you face forks in the road or when you face times when you're maybe really being squeezed, whether that's because of a difficult relationship or a transition at work or a financial pressure or a health concern, is God your first consideration? And maybe not even that. Is, is God your deepest consideration? Do you say, God, uh, I want to be aware that you're giving me my life, and what do you want for me in this? And I know this job might mean more money, but what do you want for this? Or I know uh, it might be easier for me to cut and run on this relationship, but what do you want for me on this, God? God, are you the weightiest thing? Do I defer to you the most? Or do I defer to myself? Do I defer maybe even to others more than I defer to you? God is the cornerstone of this idea of honor. And that's why loving God and honoring first is of vital importance. Do you honor God with your time and with your money and with your, your energy even? Do you make a place for him to be in your life? Do you defer to God? One of the great things uh, that I discovered several years ago is just this very simple prayer when you wake up in the morning to just simply say, God, I open my arms to your day. Meaning, God, this is your day. You're the one who created it. I open my arms. I defer to you. I want to honor you with my day. Do you honor God that way? 
And the, the second thing kind of stems off of that, and Jesus connects these together in several places. And then specifically the book of 1 John, which is another letter in the New Testament, writes about this, that if we love God and honor him, we have to love others and, and honor them as well. Do you honor others? Do you keep them at the forefront? Are you willing to defer them? Let me read to you just a few verses. Romans chapter 12 says it this way. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. Another translation says it this way in the ESV, outdo each other in showing honor. Do you look at your day and the people around you that God has put around you and you say, I, you know what, I'm just, I want to outdo everyone in showing everyone else honor. I want to defer to them. Let me read you one more verse in 1 Peter chapter 2. Honor all people. Uh, this is a really technical word in Greek. Uh, you might have to go to school to maybe learn more about it, but it's just, uh, let me just summarize it for you if I can. It's really hard to understand at times, but all just means all. Mind-blowing, isn't it? Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Now, I know that this gets difficult at times because in many ways we look at people and we say, well, they're not acting honorably, <laughs> right? They're not acting honorably at all. And, and this may keep us from wanting to show them honor and to defer to them and to treat them with respect and kindness and love and affection, as this talks about. And maybe they don't deserve the honor that you are, are called to give them. And maybe you feel offended by their actions. And yet, that's nothing new. That's human nature. That the same thing was true thousands of years ago when these words were written. And yet, God says, honor everyone. What would it look like to start honoring the people in your life? Specifically, and this is where we really uh, get the test of our beliefs, what would it look like to honor the people that you would call your enemies? What would it look like to honor the people in your life that you even disagree with? Now, this is one of the great things about being a guest speaker is remember, again, I'm leaving, so I can say this, and I'm not responsible for it. What would it look like to honor the elected leaders that maybe you didn't vote for and that you don't agree with? What would it look like to honor the policies that the elected leaders have put into place that are not sinful? Maybe they're not even wise. Maybe in your mind they're not even good, but you're under them. That's a heavy quiet right here. I, and thank God I'm out of here. So, uh, <laughs> see, here's the idea. Whenever we uh, honor something, we're saying that, you know what? I'm underneath you. I'm willing to be underneath you. Because uh, I am called to live with humility. And we do that with God. We do that with others even with those that we might not agree with, even with those that we might think are unwise at times, even with those that are our enemies. Now, how could God say something so outlandish as this, that your life needs to be marked with honor? Well, the easiest one we can handle is you need to honor God because he's the one who gave you your life. 
Now, the second one, which is a little more challenging, how can you be called to honor others and live with that, is this. It's because it's exactly what Jesus does for you. There are many places in our own lives where we do things which are disagreeable, which we do things that are offensive to God, which we do things that are unwise and not good, where we in many ways set ourselves up to be the enemy of God, and yet God, instead of smiting us, instead of crushing us to the ground, instead of destroying us with his power and his wrath, he says, you know what, I'm going to honor you, and I'm going to come underneath you, and I'm going to die to myself, and I'm going to serve you. And I'm going to give you this thing called grace, which is the greatest way of honoring someone in the world, is to give them something they don't deserve. And Jesus does that for us. Jesus tells us that even when we are sinful and broken, and even when we go against the ways of God, and even when we are faced with our own selfishness and sinfulness and brokenness, he doesn't move away from us, but instead he honors us by coming near to us, so near to us, in fact, that he takes our place. And he lives the life that we should have lived and yet never could. He dies the death that we deserve to die and yet never could so that we might be graced. This is why honor is so important. When we realize what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, his own son, and we remember that he loves us even when we are unlovable, that he is good to us when we don't deserve it, that he honors us even when we are dishonorable, he comes near to us even when he disagrees with us. We can be freed up to love him in return and to love the other people that he has made and loves deeply. Is your life a life of honor? Let's pray and ask for some help with that. Heavenly Father, uh, we need your honor in our lives. And so, God, I pray that you'd be with me. I pray that you'd be with my friends here this morning and that you would help us to know what it means to live honorably. We confess that in many ways we try to live good and meaningful lives apart from you and your will and ways, and uh, that's not going to lead to what we ultimately want. So draw us to you, Father. Thank you for honoring us and loving us enough to send your son Jesus, and it's in his name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Adam. So Adam said he's going to leave, but look, he's still here. So if you've got a bunch of hard questions for him, catch him before he walks out. <laughs> I tell you, as I was listening to you, I don't know if you guys ever feel this. There's sometimes where it's like, I'm listening, and then about halfway through, I realize I need to be listening. Um, I need to go home and eat some butter. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, the thing that really caught me there is I, I, I've been talking to God about just kind of pride and humility in my own life lately. And so to take that word honor, to think about all this stuff that we're trying to balance and how out of tune I can feel, that example that he just shared at the end about what Jesus does for us, like how Jesus lowered himself beneath us to honor us, to show us grace and forgiveness, that really is like a core thing in Christianity that, that helps everything else fall in place. And if that's something that you've got questions about, you know, Adam was joking about it, but even though he does have to go home, that is why we're here. And so actually every day, every time you're here, when you walk out of those doors, the third door on the left is something we call the hearth room. And we've always got somebody in there that has 
ask the same questions before that you might have or would just love to get to know you and meet you. And so I would encourage you, if you've got some of those questions, if there's some of this that is exciting for you or challenging for you, thought-provoking, um, you know, you want to push back on or ask a question about, well, that's one of the easiest first places to do that is just duck into that room and say, hey, can I grab your ear for a minute? Um, that's what we're here for, and, and we'd love to do that. Because as I listened today, I think I realized some of the best days that I feel the most in tune is, is exactly what you just described. It's when I wake up in the morning and I say, okay, God, this is your day. And man, like a lot of anxiety just melts away because I'm going to let him take care of this thing. And I'm going to try to do it his way. And I'm going to try to remember, like, I serve my kids. I, I serve my wife. I, I love them that way and honor God that way. So I hope that's been an encouragement to you today. Can we just give Adam a thank you for sharing with us? I know that is not what he wants and it's not why he's here, but you're a guest speaker, so we get to clap for you. <laughs> and then I just want to let you guys know about one more quick thing before you go. Because one of the things that we do as a community here at Horizon is, is one, it's these weekends that we're digging into the Bible, digging into our lives, trying to understand how does that all fit together. But we also have some times that are just set up for some fun, just to get to know each other better as we're sort of on this journey together. And so we've got a quick video from our family ministry director, Ryan Ventura. You've probably seen him up here before. Um, kind of a funny video. So I'm just going to let him tell you about an event that we've got coming up that I'd love for you to be a part of. Hey, dads, are you looking for an exciting way to kick off the new school year for your family? Not really. So let's try this again. Hey, dads, do you like sports cars, pizza, and golf? Well, of course. Would your kids enjoy Kona Ice and inflatable bouncy houses? Yeah, they would love that. That'd be amazing. Would your wife enjoy freshly made smoothies and connecting with her friends? I mean, that would make me like husband of the year. That'd be incredible. Would it be even better if it cost you nothing? That would be amazing! Well, if this sounds amazing to you as well, then head to the Horizon website or app to register your family for our Family Fun Night on Saturday, August 14th, 6 to 8 p.m. And feel free to invite the neighbors to join the fun as well. Uh, he cracks me up. So check it out. Definitely jump on the website. Check out the details. We'd love to have you there. Love it if you could bring a friend. I know um, out loud I'm going to say... I'll be there to hang out with you guys, get to know you better. On the inside, I'm thinking, and food trucks, because they probably put butter in those burgers. <laughs> hey, honestly, we would love to see you there. I love seeing you here today, and hope we get to see you next week as well. Thank you for coming.